0: Welcome to the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Appreciate all the great listeners out there who have been a part of the program. Thanks so much for all your great feedback. Over the time that we've had with all the great episodes we've been able to put together. Um, And also, huge thanks to all the jazz fans out there for their wonderful support uh, since I have been back in the arena as the Encore MC. Uh, Love working with Kara, who is also the other MC. She's doing a great job. Uh, as always, so her and I tag team all of that and having a great time. Great job by the staff, putting together a lot of fun things. And the fans that have been there, uh, the ones, you know, only 1,500 per game. It's been great to interact with all of you as well. Uh, as always, you can follow the show right here on the Utah Podcast Network. You can also uh, tweet at the show or uh, involve yourself with the show in any other way on all forms of social media at Tony Parks eight oh one. And, of course, uh, email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. It's great to have uh, some time to sit down and do some podcast episodes and kind of talk about everything that's been happening uh, over the last week or so. And I wanted to talk about the Utah Jazz on this one. I thought they had a good trip, a good road trip. It was good. It wasn't spectacular. wasn't great. But I hope they discovered something very big during this, and I hope it's something that can carry on going forward. Because I thought it was a tale of two halves during that road trip. And I'll get into all of the details as to why. Uh, so, lifting the curtain, I want to take you back to a really interesting night. It was President's Day in 2012. And I was covering the visiting locker room. And uh, that night, the Jazz were playing the San Antonio Spurs. And the Spurs were in Game 7 of a nine-game road trip and what was a wild schedule that year. Um, including teams having to play back-to-back-to-backs at some time during the year. And it was the lockout-shortened season, as we mentioned, and and the other thing was is it was just crazy with the way the schedule would happen. So it started in Memphis, then Philly, Jersey, Detroit, Toronto, Clippers, and then to Utah. And this was a veteran team, and it was a team on a roll. They came in that night winning 10 in a row. They did it impressively, um, and they... They came in there expecting to win number 11. Now, they were one of my favorite locker rooms to go into. They were always insanely businesslike, right? Like, you could just feel it in everything they did. The way they walked, acted, talked. The way they sat down and put their socks on. I mean, everything about them was very businesslike. So, that night, I have a chance to talk with Richard Jefferson before the game. And we're discussing kind of just what it takes to keep moving through one day at a time and still play at a high level the way the Spurs were, even though fatigue obviously had to start, you know, moving its way in. And he had a number of great things to say about the Spurs and their mentality and how the culture and the expectation really carries you through some very critical moments in some of these games and how some of that gives you energy. And I mean, it was just a great conversation. And that night, it was a really good game between the Jazz and the Spurs. Came all the way down to the end. And Richard Jefferson actually hit a big corner three to put the game away. I put him up by like five with, you know, 15 seconds left or something like that. But what I was most impressed with was the level of defensive focus and defensive toughness that the Spurs played with. A lot of it is what Richard Jefferson had been talking about, especially in the last five minutes of that game. They took it to another level. Everything that Richard Jefferson was describing, I was watching in the final five minutes of that game, and it was mesmerizing. I was right there in the locker room before the game. I was right by their bench during the game, and you could feel that they didn't have their best game. You could feel they were tired. You could feel they were travel-weary. You knew they were a much better team than the Jazz, and they were even a much better team than what they were showing, but that they were still fighting hard. They weren't letting go of the rope in any way, even though people would have fully understood if they hadn't won that game. And in the last five minutes, Utah had just six points. Two of them were a gimme at the, uh, the end of the game. The Spurs had that five-point lead, and they, they gave up a layup with like five seconds left. Just the big thing was, don't give up a three. So they gave the Jazz a bucket. Really, it was only two that the Jazz were able to get in those final five or six minutes. And they tightened it up. I mean, they locked down the Jazz. They relied on that culture and that, that mental toughness that, that had provided them championships and high-level winning seasons for the previous 13 years at that point. And even if some or most of those guys in that locker room hadn't been there before, it led them to grinding out that win, a win that could have gotten away from them. Now, this doesn't happen every time for a team like the Spurs in a year like that. As a matter of fact, they, they had their winning streak smashed later on in the road trip uh, when they lost uh, to Portland, and they lost by like 30 or 40. It was crazy. So eventually, you do hit the wall. Um, but wh- it was so impressive. I just stood back in awe of watching what it took for that team to win that game. Jazz came in, fired up, pumped, crowd was into it, all of that, and the Jazz gave them everything that they could handle, and, and the, sp- the Spurs, who you know limped into that thing as tired as any team could be, found a way to win. Uh, Stockton and Malone, I'm sure, had several of these kinds of games uh, in their history when they were contending for championships. And so, and maybe think about something that happened a few times during that road trip for the Jazz, this this past road trip. And it's something that has to be minimized greatly. And that's the stretches of just letting the game get away from them when the defense doesn't just kind of, you know, wobble, where it just completely unravels. And that happened to them a couple of times in the early half of this road trip. Uh, And that 18-point lead vanishing against the Knicks like it did, you know, that can't happen as often as it has happened over the the, the past couple of years and in that road trip and all of that. I mean, we saw what happened with Quinn Snyder against the Pistons when he put the clipboard down in front of them and pretty much told them, hey, you guys got to figure this out yourselves. And the reason why he had to do that, and I love that he did that, is because the next step for the Jazz, which is what everybody wants to know about, what's the next step, what's the next step, and they want the roster improved, and they want this player to improve, and, they, and there's so many things we can go over. But a lot of what the Jazz need to do in this next step really can't be coached. It really can't be something that Quinn Snyder has to talk about and preach. He's talked about everything that can be talked about over the past handful of years while bringing this team to this point. It's got to be something that this team kind of gains within themselves that will make the difference between this team being a pretender and a contender. And they've shown flashes of several different things several different times. And I was just talking about leads like that, and now going back to the Spurs a little bit. Popovich and the Spurs had some insanely crazy record when they held a 13-point leader better. And I remember this because Locke dropped this on a game broadcast when the Jazz beat the Spurs once. And uh, with the broadcaster's jinx, he, he called the game and said it was over because the Spurs went up 13, and the Jazz rallied back to win the game, and Locke got a lot of heat for it, but his point was actually well taken. I knew what he was saying, and I forget what the number was. It was something so crazy, like 773 when having some kind of 13 or more lead in a game. And don't quote me, I, I just remember the number was so daunting that I can understand why he gave out that number and somewhat jokingly said the game's over because historically it was. One thing those teams did with the Spurs is when they got you down like that, they knocked you out. Something Stockton and Malone did a lot of times. They got you down like that, they knocked you out. You were done. Man, they they got their claws sunk into you and it was a brutally tough task to get back into a game um, because they took a lot of pride in, you know, extending the lead or, or you know, digging in defensively and just making it tough on teams. So fast forward to the game on, on that Sunday afternoon, like we're talking about with the clipboard and all of that, that's what you saw from this team. And getting later on the road trip, needing to pick it up defensively, turning it to another level, finding a way to beat a team that you're better than is, is what they need to do. And that was a very good win. That's what they did. And by no means do I think that the Jazz are currently the the Spurs of of 2012, right? It, by no means. But this team got the win by doing something incredible. That was it was tremendous the way that they locked that down. Uh, that Spurs team was 50 and 16. They had a stretch of going 48 and seven. They were 31 and two. They started the postseason 10 and 0, and then they hit the wall. We all know about that, but. This, this team wants to have some of those same characteristics, and I think they need to if they want to get serious about making this jump. And one thing this team is still learning a lot about is what it takes to get to that elite level. And so I just mentioned Locke a moment ago, I thought he had a very, very good note about this team after the first four games of the road trip. And it said that the Jazz were fifth defensively before Sunday's game after a made shot. 28th after a defensive rebound by the opponent. 25th after a live ball turnover. um, And then the offense had uh, an opposite problem and success, if you will. After a make by the opponent, uh, the Utah offense was 21st. And they were 5th when they got a stop, resulting in a defensive rebound. They were 14th after a live ball takeaway. Now, something I'm not surprised by is that a team would be better defensively after getting a score uh, rather than a turnover or a missed shot. Okay, like that's not surprising. But the problem is that you can't let the gap be fifth when things go right and then excuse letting it be next to worst in the league or low in the league, if you will, at 28th when it doesn't go right. If you do excuse something like that, then you can't be serious about trying to become one of the very best teams in the NBA Uh, because this team is not good enough to just wait around for everything to fall into place for them, right? Right. So this also raised concern because last year the Jazz lost some of their defensive bite. Sometimes they fell off of a cliff defensively and, quite frankly, were awful. And I've talked about that at times. Injuries weren't the problem. COVID wasn't the problem. And the, uh, the players, um, uh, new players and all that, that, that can't be used as an excuse either. Like all of those things, as, as much as that like to get thrown out there, it wasn't true. You can't go from seventh in a 45-day span and then be 28th in a 45-day span and blame it solely on something out of your control. Team is uh, relatively healthy. Uh, This was all taking place before COVID, and the new players were able to have success for a stretch, so having a massive drop-off cannot be acceptable. Like, there was just no excuse for it. They had nobody to blame but themselves, and I think even they will go ahead and say that. Now, some of the shortcomings defensively that took place in that Knicks and the Nets game, what I absolutely loved was that the leadership of the team like Donovan and Rudy were very honest about what took place and why it's unacceptable. And to me, that was a very positive sign. They didn't say anything like, well, it's early in the season and we're trying to this and we're that. No, no, no. Unacceptable. Donovan knew after that game against Brooklyn, they didn't bring it. They just flat out didn't bring it. And it really goes to show that the jump is very expensive when you look at the amount of mental adjustment, what it takes to go from being good to becoming elite. I mean, there's a level of toughness that's just different. And the Jazz started that trip in the first three games. They were the 21st defensive team in the league in that three-game window. They had a rating of 115. Small sample size, but you get my point. It's not something they consider good. The last three games of that trip, they were third in the league defensively, and they were barely off the pace to being the best uh, team on the side of that floor. They had a rating of 100, which is outstanding. That's the stuff you want to see. So becoming a champion, as we talk about it, the insanely tough thing to do, I don't need to tell anybody that. You know, but when you look at Stockton and Malone, those dudes brought it every single day forever. They paid that price to be a champion all the time. And throughout all of that, they didn't win it. They fell short. They pushed a really, really legendary team with Michael Jordan and that group in 97 uh, that won 69 regular season games, and then the next year they lost in six again. They even had the MVP on their team. They had the best point guard of all time up to that point. You know, like, there was a lot to look at and and say, okay, like, they they have so much of what it takes to win it all, paid the price every day, and didn't. So if they paid the price, and they got that close, and they didn't win it, if you're not going to bring it every single day, If you're not going to bring it every single day, you've got no chance. No chance. This team isn't good enough to not bring it every single day and get serious about being a contender. They don't have four Hall of Famers just sitting in that starting lineup. They just don't. So this Jazz team is still learning about what that investment actually looks like. This team is still learning about all those loose ends they have to discover that make the difference between pretender and contender. Uh, the, The numbers David tweeted out, happen to be uh, one of those loose ends. They cannot let that be a part of their DNA. And I I still think they have the dudes to contend. I still think they have the coach, the cornerstone pieces, the front office depth skill. But there's just so much more that goes into it. And I think it's been a very wonderful change over over those last three games. It's a small sample size, but that's a lot of what we're talking about. Because... Being in the locker room for the Spurs during those days where they're tired and on huge winning streaks and, you know, people would have totally understood if they let that game get away, but they wouldn't relent at all. Stockton and Malone, same thing so many times. Long road trip, grinding schedule. They brought it every time. And I've been excited because I I think watching the development and the growth of this Jazz team from the day that Quinn Snyder stepped in, he's been everything they needed. I loved watching the growth and the change of Gobert and Mitchell, what they had there for the franchise, you know, same with so many other guys like Ingalls, Favors, Clarkson, you know, Bogey. I could go on and on. Being right there for the stars and seeing guys, you know, like a George Niang develop Royce O'Neill, become guys that get into NBA games with regularity. And these guys aren't Hall of Famers, I understand that, but but watching the culture all together help, you know, foster winning attitude, winning mentality you know, put this team in position to win. And now I believe they have the caliber team with the playmaking and the skill and all of that to be a contender. I believe they have it. And I believe they all want it. And I believe they all have the same goal in mind. They're also trying to figure out what those other other extra pieces are along the way. And this is one of those. Um, So this team responded well to adversity on the trip. They've responded well to it in the past. Um, and now it's it's about responding well to it more often in the small moments. The missed shot, turnover, possession that didn't go the way you hoped. Um, and they're trying to have that consistency that gives them that serious chance to do something special in 21. So uh, the way they responded in that game against the Pistons, that was really encouraging. Locked them down the last six minutes the same way the Spurs did to that Jazz team back in 2012. Detroit hit two field goals and had five points in the last six minutes. Uh, The the way they played in that game against the Cavaliers, that was inspiring in so many ways. I mean, really just put the foot down on them. Um, Not right away, but, you know, as the game was moving on, the Jazz started to extend. And this team has shown flashes and the ability to be what they want. And on that road trip, there were moments they showed that. But just like Quinn Snyder said, when he put the clipboard down, there really is nothing left to say. It's time for the guys to figure it out more often. Thanks so much for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. I hope you like what you heard. Uh, I love all your feedback. Please let me know whether it be through social media at Tony Parks 801 Email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Thanks so much for all the support. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast right here on the Utah Podcast Network.